This is day three together of our look through Titus chapter one. We're going to focus together on verses five to eight. Remember, we talked about the beginning of the book and Paul and how he set it up that Titus had been his partner in ministry. And now we find out in verse five that there is a new partnership, a new role that Titus has in ministry with Paul. Here's what he says in verse five. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's what Titus was left to do. He had, he had a twofold ministry, the ministry of straightening out and the ministry of appointing leaders. That's an incredible ministry. And some of you, God has given you that exact ministry. I'm thinking of Glenn Cruen right now, the executive pastor at Saddleback who just retired after being with us, great, great friend for 28 years. I'm thinking about the fact that although he never preached a sermon, God gave him this ministry, the ministry of straightening things out that were left unfinished. He'd look for what was undone and get it done, and the ministry of appointing leaders, the right kind of leaders for the church. That's most of what he did for 28 years of ministry here at Saddleback Church. And did God use that? Yes, God used that. It's the ministry of Titus. And God has given some of you that particular ministry. You may feel like, I'm not a teacher, uh, some of you are a teacher, but you may feel like I'm not a teacher. So what could I do for God? You could straighten out what's left unfinished and you can appoint the right kind of leaders to make a difference for God's sake. It's the ministry of straightening out and the ministry of appointing leaders. That word straighten out, it's a medical term. It's for the setting of a broken limb. You straightened it out so that it would heal and grow in the right way. That's the importance of this. If you don't straighten it out at the beginning and the right time, then it's gonna be crooked for the rest of your life or have to be rebroken and reset. So you straighten it out so that it grows in the right way. If you're the kind of person who can see what's unfinished, ask God for the grace and the strength to straighten it out. If you have that gift in your life, it's easy to be a critic. Critics can see what needs to be straightened out. Oh, that's crooked. I don't like that. Critics don't change anything. No, you have the ministry of straightening out. You find a way to get involved, to set the limb, to care for it in such a way so that healing occurs. I love Titus. He's a reminder to me that there are three kinds of people in this world. There are people who make a bad situation worse. You've met those kind of people. They walk into a bad situation and the things that they say, the things that they do, the spirit that they have, you feel worse, even though it was bad. That's an easy thing to do, make a bad situation worse. You just point out how bad it is and then you walk away. There are people who make a bad situation worse. There are other people, they can make a good situation better. They walk into a good situation and they encourage some more, they strengthen some more, they lend a hand, they make a good situation better. It's a good kind of person. Titus is a third kind of person. He was the kind of person who could make a bad situation better. He could go into a situation where some straightening out was needed, where the wrong leaders, where there was false teaching going on, and he could make that better. If God's gifted you to do that, that is a great gift. Don't misuse it in empty criticism. Use it in healing God's church, healing God's people. Now, you wanna straighten things out? You start with the leadership. That's where you start in a church. That's where you start in your life. You want to straighten things out in your life? Things are going the wrong direction? Make sure you got the right kind of leadership in your life. Leadership that points you to God's word. You want to straighten things out in a church? It's going in the wrong direction? You make sure the church has the right kind of leadership in its body. You start 
with the leadership. And where do you start with leadership? You start with character. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And in leadership, as a leader, everything rises and falls on character. And so Paul talks about character in verses 6 to 8 as he talks about appointing leaders in this church in Crete that was struggling. He says this, verses 6 to 8, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what's good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, as Paul talks about the character of a leader here, he's really talking about the character of a believer. Every one of us, there is somebody that we lead, whether it's one person or somebody in our family or the guy who's watching us or the woman who's watching us at work, we are leading one person. This is directed specifically towards the leaders of the church, but these characteristics are for every one of us as believers. And he begins with the word that scares all of us as believers. He begins by saying, you got to be blameless. In fact, not only does he say it once, he says it twice. He says it in verse 6, and then he says it again in verse 7. What's he talking about here? All of us know that we've sinned. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So how could any of us be blameless? Well, this word blameless is not pointing to the fact that we have sinned and now need to be forgiven, although we, because we've been forgiven, we do stand without blame in the sight of Jesus Christ. But that's not particularly what this is pointing to. This is more pointing to our relationships with other people. We're blameless in our other relationships, not that we've never done anything wrong, but if we've done something wrong, we've made it right. We're not doing anything wrong right now. As best as we know how, we're living with a clear conscience before other people. That's what this word is all about, blameless. And these words, they are written to elders. A lot of people think, what is that? And does my church have them? Do we have elders? What are elders? Well, if you take a close look at the New Testament, you do a study through the words that are used for the leadership of the church, you find out that the Bible talks about elders, the Bible talks about overseers. In fact, overseers is talked about in verse 7 that we've just read, elder in verse 6. And then other places, the Bible talks about pastors. Now, are those three different positions in the church? No. If you look at the New Testament, they're obviously, you compare these verses, they are obviously the same role. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. They're all the same thing. So whether you use the term elder or pastor or overseer, sometimes that word overseer is also translated bishop, whether you use any of those words, they're the same thing. Now, I understand in today's churches, we have made different forms of hierarchies where we have this guy named a bishop and this guy is a, is a better bishop and this guy is a better, better, better bishop. We have those kinds of words, and that's okay. We can organize our churches how we want to today as long as it's not unbiblical. But in the New Testament, you need to understand that these words all meant the same thing. So as we talk about elder here and overseer, we're talking about the pastor of a church. And Paul talks about the character, the leadership of that pastor, the leadership for all of our lives that we need, the kind of character we need to be a leader, and all of us need to lead in some way in our lives. So as a leader, whether it's a church or a family or one person that I'm trying to help to come to know Christ, Paul says you need to take a look at some different areas of your life. He says you have to realize you're a leader, not just in your church life. You're a leader in your family life. You're a leader in your personal life. You're a leader in your financial life. You're a leader in your social life. You're a leader in your spiritual life. All those areas, those five areas, family life, personal life, 
financial life, social life, spiritual life. And he just lays it out here. He says, in your family life, you're a leader. In fact, he begins there. You want to find a good leader? You look at what's happening in their own family because you can't fake it there. In your family life, Paul says, make sure that this person is the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, what does that mean, the husband of but one wife? Does that mean if you're single, you can't pastor a church? Does Does that mean if your wife has died that you can't pastor a church? Is that what this means? I believe that this phrase, as you take a close look at it, has the feeling of a one-woman man. This is the guy who has a character of being married to one woman for life. Now, if that wife dies, or even if that wife divorces this pastor without his consent, with him trying everything that he can to put the relationship back together, after a period of time grieving, if she's died, or trying to restore if a divorce has happened, I believe that you can still see the character of a one-woman man. Also in that day, there were those who married more than one woman. They had love for more than one woman. Either they would have serial marriages or they would marry more than one person at once. And Paul says, no, that's not the character of the leader of God's church. The character of the leader of God's church is the character that God had from the very beginning. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God decided from the very beginning to give Eve to Adam, and he said, this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That is the character that you look for in leadership, in family life. If there are children in this family, they are children who believe. There is the following of that dad and that mom and that family to a life of faith in Jesus Christ. They're not wild. They're not disobedient. Now, does that mean, wait, if my kids do something wrong, that means I can't be a leader in God's church? Yeah. When they're younger, yeah. No, not for doing one wrong thing. But if they're living a life of wildness and disobedience, you don't want to be a leader in God's church right now. Your family needs your time. Your family needs your time right now. Maybe there'll be a season later where you can be a leader in the church. But right now, they need your time. And there's no more important calling that you have in your life than your family. So you give them your time. You give them your heart. I believe this is for when the children are in the home. Obviously, when they become adults or outside of the home, they're making their own choices. Family life. Husband of one wife. Children who believe. By the way, when it says husband of one wife, the obvious question is, does this mean that only men can be pastors? It's just indicated here. But if we were studying the book of Timothy or other chapters within the scripture, we would find that very clearly the lead pastor of the church in the New Testament is to be a man. And this does not mean that women cannot serve and should not serve in the greatest ways equally in God's church. It's very clear that there is an equality in service, but there is a difference in roles in God's church. Now, why God said that the lead pastor was to be a man, I don't totally understand. I have a suspicion that sometimes it's because men are less spiritual than women, and God wanted to make sure that men were also led to faith through example within the church, that it wasn't just women who were in the church. But that's a cultural thing. That's my culture that I'm understanding that from. I don't understand it all, but I do trust God in this. And I do know that under the leadership of that senior pastor, that a woman should and could and will do anything and everything within the church and the body of Christ to lead out within the church. There is the sense in this that the family life is at the focus of what the man of God and also the leader of the woman of God is doing. It's family life. He also, in these verses, talks about personal life. 
And he says, don't be overbearing. Overbearing means set on pleasing yourself. Don't be quick-tempered. That means how you deal with people who irritate you. It's so easy to be quick-tempered. Don't be given to drunkenness. The leader can't be an addicted person. Don't be violent. The leader can't be somebody who gets their way through anger. Don't look for that kind of person, but look for the person who leads by the gentleness, the kind of gentleness that Jesus Christ had. When you're looking for a leader, look for somebody also in the area of their financial life, not pursuing dishonest gain. It's interesting that Crete was famous for dishonest gain. And so that meant that he would be going against the culture if you did not pursue dishonest gain. You'd be following Jesus Christ instead. We're going to find out as we walk through these chapters that the false teachers pursued dishonest gain. How did they do that? How did false teachers get paid? It was common in that day to pay teachers. So if you gathered a bigger crowd by appealing to their, to their selfishness, you'd get paid more. You put down the other teachers so people wouldn't go and listen to those other teachers. They would come and listen to you, so you'd get paid more. So you could pursue dishonest gain even through teaching. Make sure it's not that kind of person, Paul says. And then he says, look at their social life. Make sure it's somebody who's hospitable, somebody who loves to have other people in their home. The church of Jesus Christ is people. If you don't love people, you don't want to be leading God's church. Now, that's the church, but it also applies to my life and your life. So as we end today, I just want to pray through these verses again, thinking about my life and your life individually as believers. Let's pray together. And just say, Jesus Christ, I want to live the kind of life you want me to live. I want to be blameless. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to live by your power in the best way that I can now. I want to live in my family in a way that pleases you. Help me to be committed to my spouse, committed to my marriage. Help me to love my kids even when, even when I struggle with them. Help me to lead them to life of faith even when it's hard. Lord, in my personal life, I don't want to be somebody who, through my temper or through my violence, through my anger, gets people to do what I want to do. Make me the kind of person who is gentle, who is loving. And Lord, if there are addictions in my life, help me to confess them to somebody that I love, that somebody that I trust, so they can be set aside in my life. Lord, in my financial life, dishonest gain can become all-consuming. Help me not to let that into my life or to get that out of my life. And Jesus, help me to be somebody who loves people. You know, when I get tired, I can pull into myself. Instead, help me to find others that I can love. Whether it's one or a hundred, help me to be hospitable, to love the people that are around me. Jesus, I want to live the kind of life that you've given me to live so I can lead others to know the kind of life that only you can give. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Join us tomorrow. We're going to talk together about the spiritual life of the believer leader. (music) 